Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before You trusting alone in the blood righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that in us, that is in our flesh, dwells no good thing. We know that salvation is of You. And the only way that a sinner can know You, understand anything about You and or Your kingdom, is for You to come through the operation of the Holy Spirit and make us alive from being dead in sin to alive in Christ Jesus. We know that there is no way that we can comprehend You. Not only the eternality of Your being, For us, as we live in history, there's a starting. There's even a starting for creation. But with you, there is no beginning of days, no end of time. No succession of moments. You are God yesterday, today, and forever. You are the same. You have designated yourself as I am. Yesterday, I am. Today, I am. Tomorrow, I am. It seems like a contradiction of thought, a contradiction of terms, but nevertheless, It is true. And we thank You for the majesty of Your being as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three, and yet one. Another seemingly contradiction of words and to our 
logical way of thinking. It is beyond our reason or comprehension. Nevertheless, it is the testimony of the Holy Scriptures. I ask you, my God, as we endeavor to look at this to some degree, that you would sanctify what's being said, not only to our own hearts and souls, but to all who hear. For several decades, <clears throat> yea, centuries, there has been an attack upon your word. Actually, the attack and the questioning of your word began in the Garden of Eden. As the devil in his temptation was say, hath God said? Questioning you and putting doubts and suspicion in the mind of humans and causing them to seek to be as God. And man today is no different. In fact, <clears throat> in some ways, he's far worse. For as down through the centuries, more and more attack were have been made against thy word and the truths contained therein, we find that <clears throat> modern man has tried to amass an arsenal of ammunition against the Holy Scriptures. Again, we ask that you would be with us. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we come back to 1 John 5, verses 6 through 9, we... want to address a particular issue and I hope to make it as, and though we're not here for entertainment, but I hope to make it as uh, comprehensive as I can and not to be too tedious and yet there is much uh, technical material 
that I'm going to be covering. It is not so much for the congregation here, though a lot of things that I'm bringing probably you haven't heard before. But it is for those out there in the internet world who may hear this and hopefully it will be a a benefit and an encouragement to those who are being sold a bill of goods against the Holy Scriptures. I mentioned last Lord's Day that I am a proponent of the Masoretic text of the Old Testament and the Texas Receptus Greek text of the New Testament. And I mentioned the vowel points of the Hebrew text in the Old Testament. You may remember we pointed out that Basically, in the Hebrew, there are 22 letters in Hebrew, and they're all consonants. And that there were little squiggly, little lines above, or dots above, or dots and lines below the Hebrew letters that are called vowel points. And so, uh, in other words, uh, certain certain marks would indicate whether it's an A or E or an I or O or U or or whether it's a long A or a short A or things of that nature. But they're little; they're called vowel points, and uh, modern. Uh, so-called critical analysis of the text tried to maintain that these vowel points were put in the Hebrew text uh, in latter years. And uh, one of the views, and I think one of the most common is that they were put in between uh, Malachi and Matthew, which is called the 400 silent years between Malachi and Matthew. But we mentioned last Lord's Day that John Gill uh, has a massive treatise on that, uh, refuting that view, and that you could find that on uh, the Mount Zion Primitive Baptist Church website called mountzionpbc.org. But John Owen, and I mentioned last week that he too uh, uh, supported the length, uh, uh, the age uh, of the vowel points, and I did not have those uh, articles or treaties memorized, but they are in the latest issue uh, or the latest edition. Uh, that's printed by Banner of Trust Truth. 
16 volumes of the works of John Owen, and both of those treaties are in volume 16. One of them is called A Vindication of the Purity and Integrity of the Hebrew and Greek Texts. And the other one is called Some Exhortations About the Nature and Perfection of the Scriptures. And in both of those places, he vindicated the vowel points of the Masoretic Old Testament text from whence the King James was translated. And I am a proponent that the King James translation is the best English translation of the Holy Scriptures. But I will not uh, go into... I could, I could bring several lessons on why I believe that, but we won't do it. But I am going to take up the case here in 1 John verses 7 and 8. Before I get down to that specifically, there are two sources of many which I could quote. But two sources that I'm going to be uh, getting some material from today. One is called The Genuineness of the Text of the First Epistle of St. John, chapter 5, verse 7, by David Martin, that was printed in 1722. And you can find that out in the inter- out on out in the internet internet world in a PDF file. But thankfully, recently, and those of this congregation know Brother Ray Hoggard, he, he has taken that document and put it into Microsoft Word format. And if anyone wanted to get that, they can contact him and get that from him. And I could say much about that document uh, uh, because uh, the ancient Greek that is in the PDF file has been modernized into the uh, the Word document that Brother Ray printed out. And, uh, uh, and I'm the one that actually modernized that uh, the Greek text from the Old Testament, uh, from that PDF file. And... Uh, that was no easy task in and of itself. Uh, this won't mean much to you, but it might mean something to somebody out there uh, that's listening to this. What I mean by modernizing is the Greek word and in uh, our New Testament Greek is spelled out with the Greek letters uh, 
K-A-I. That'd be Chi Alpha Iota. And that's the word for and. But in the ancient text, which took me days to figure out, uh, there's a character that kind of looks like uh, a cursive N pushed over on the side. Kind of leaning in. Looks like an N. And that one character in ancient text is for the Greek word and. And then uh, there's also another character that looks like a big C or, or English letter C with a couple of dots in it. Uh, that's also an ancient character for and. And so uh, things like that was done because we don't have the ancient, uh, at least I didn't in my keyboard, didn't have the ancient uh, characters where I could do straight. But anyway, it, it kind of simplifies uh, the Greek that is quoted in uh, some of that of David Martin. That document was a document that uh, David Martin had written against a man by Mr. Uh, Emblem in his day that was attacking 1 John 5, 7, and 8. And then there was a modern book that was written uh, originally in 2016 and had a second printing in 2018 called A Defense of the Authority of 1 John 5-7 by a man by the name of C.H. Pappas. Now, Brother Pappas was a Greek. He was born to Greek, so he knew, he knew Greek. And I say he knew Greek. Uh, I think it was about two years ago uh, Pappas died. But you can still get the book. And I would recommend those two as well as some others I'll mention later on. But I will say this. It would take scores of sermons to provide a thorough and clear investigation of this issue. And so what I'm going to be giving, though it will be somewhat lengthy in some ways, I assure you it is uh, just giving a summary or a highlight of the situation. And what we're looking at in m most of your, as far as I know, all of your modern translations either omit part of this verse or they put a footnote in their Bible that questions the verse or says that part of the verse is not in what they call the best Greek text. I deny that. And most people today say, well, if you, if you uh, 
support 1 John 5, 7, then you're just ignorant. You don't understand the issue. Well, I'm going to try to show that I'm not ignorant. And I believe I do understand the issue. And what the issue is, that the modern says, with 1 John 5, 7 and 8, For there are three that bear record in heaven. No, excuse me. Uh, For there are three that bear record, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are one. But if you should read, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. And last Lord's Day, we covered the issue of the, the three witnesses on earth and the three witnesses in heaven. So I won't go over that again. Now, supposedly missing... And what they try to say is the best Greek text, which is not. In heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, and there are three that bear witness in earth. Now, I'll explain this a little bit later, but that's called the comma. Now, don't think about our English punctuation point, comma, though it is spelled C-O-M-M-A. It, that is short for the Latin comma jonanium or the comma... Uh, Jonanine, if I pronounce the Latin right. But most of the scholars, if you're reading this, they'll say the comma is missing, which means that the comma is just a short word, little word, to say what part of that part of the text that's missing. So they call it the comma. I'm not going to go into why they call it that and so on and so forth. That just give you give you that. But what is the issue? Well, first of all, the issue is what is God's word? If this is not part of God's word, and the Greek text behind this by the way which the modern text was developed by two men by the name of Westcott and Hort that denied the Trinity and many other orthodox doctrines Well, I'll go on. I almost 
chased the rabbit. That is, got off the topic on something else. Let me, let me read a, a, a lengthy quote from John Gill. I think Gill summarized it really well. Quoting John Gill. That is, that Jesus is the Son of God. The genuineness of this text has been called in question by some because it is wanting in the Syriac version as it is also in the Arabic and Ecopic version, Ecopic from Ethiopia, that area, and because the old Latin interpreters has it not, or the old Latin interpreter. And it is not to be found in many Greek manuscripts, nor cited by many of the ancient fathers, even by such who wrote against the Arians. Now you'll know the Arians were people that denied the Trinity. When it might have been of great service to them, to all which it may be replied, that as to the Syriac version, which is the most ancient and of the greatest consequence, it is but a version and a defective one. And Gill said, though it's not in the Syriac version, he said the Syriac version is defective. The history of the adulterous woman in the 8th of John, the second epistle of Peter, the second and third epistles of John, the epistle of Jude, and the book of the Revelation were formerly wanting in it. In other words, in the Syriac version, those books weren't even in it. So it's a defective version. It's not even a good version of the, of the, the New Testament. And they were not in the Syriac version until Bishop Usher's copy, a copy and it was restored by two authors called De Deu and Dr. Pocock and who also from an Eastern copy has supplied this version with this text. As to the old Latin interpreter, it is certain it is to be seen in many Latin manuscripts of an early date and stands in the, Latin, in the Vulgate Latin edition of the London Polygot Bible and the Latin translation. In other words, uh, Jerome who translated it into Latin. That's what he's talking about. And the old Latin copy has it. In other words, when Jerome translated the Greek into Latin, the early Latin version had 1 John 5, 7 and 8. 
and who in an epistle of his, that is an epistle of Jerome, in his Usticorium, prefixed to his translation of these canonical epistles, complains of the omission by, of it by unfaithful interpreters. Now what Gill is saying there, when Jerome translated the Greek into Latin in his preface to his translation, he said that unfaithful interpreters left it out in their they try to leave it out. What I'm showing is these early fathers of Christianity, if you want to call them fathers, maintain that first John five seven was there from the beginning. And as to it being wanting, that is, that it's not there in some Greek manuscripts as the Alexandrian and others, it need only be said that it is to be found in many others. It is in an old British copy in the Complusian edition, and that's a popular edition of uh, The New Testament, I'll just put it that way. The compilers of which made use of various copies. And out of the 16 ancient copies of Robert Stevens, nine of them had it. And as it is not being cited by some of the ancient fathers, this can be of no sufficient proof of the spuriousness of it, since it might be in the original copies, though not in the copies used by them. Though the carelessness of unfaithfulness of transcribers, or it might be in their copies, and yet not cited by them, they having scriptures enough without it to defend the doctrine of the Trinity and the divinity of Christ. And yet, after all, certain it is that it is cited by many of them, by Flugentius, in the beginning of the 6th century, 6th century against the Arians without any scruples or hesitation. And Jerome, as before observed, has it in his translation made in the latter end of the 4th century and cited by Athanasius about the year 350 and before him by Cyprian in the middle of the 3rd century, about the year 250, and is referred to by Tertullian about the year 200, which was within a 100 years or a little more of the writing of the epistle. In other words, Gill says these people back that far back cited 1 John 5, 7 as being part of the Greek text. And said this should satisfy any one of the genuineness of the passage, and besides, there never was any dispute about it till Erasmus left it out in the first edition of the translation of the New Testament. And yet he, that is Erasmus, 
upon the credit of the old British copy that Gil mentioned before, put it into other edition of his translation. So what we have is no one questioned 1 John 5-7 being part of the Greek text for 1,500 years because Erasmus lived in the 1500s. You know, John, uh, I mean, Martin Luther treatise on the bondage of the will was written against Erasmus. Robert Trail, who lived in the 1700s, in his sermon commenting on the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, said this, There are several things that I would first take notice of in general from the view of these words before I enter on any of the three particulars in them. We find in this description a plain hint of that divine truth, the trinity of persons in one God. The blessed three are all here named. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit with a distinct regard to poor sinners. The Father electing, the Son redeeming, and the Spirit sanctifying. This is a mystery of faith plainly revealed in the Word, but it's plainly knowable by no man, for always the nearer that a divine mystery lies to the being of God, the greater depth it is. In other words, the closer you try to figure out God, the more mysterious you find Him to be. <coughs> the will of God about our duty is not a, without a mystery. His will about the lot of men, according to His own sovereign counsel, of which we shall have occasion to speak, is yet a deeper mystery. But revelations about Himself are yet a great deal deeper than any of them. The Word reveals them. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three, 1 John 5, 7. And these three, Trail said this, which I quoted earlier, I think last Lord's Day, a place of Scripture, that is 1 John 5, 7, that the devil's diligence hath not been small to weaken and to beat out of the Bible, though in vain. Trail continues, when our Lord was going to heaven, 
He charged his disciples to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And these are three names, but these three names have but one name. The great name of God is ascribed to them all. There has been a great deal of disturbance given to the church of Christ in several ages on account of the faith of this truth. The wisdom of corrupt men is a very fertile soil in objections and quarrelings with divine unsearchable truths. The plain course of a Christian is to believe and adore what is plainly revealed though cannot be perfectly known. That's from the works of Robert Trail, volume 4, page 20. Now to give some more technical material, I'm going to give some information that is found from the two sources that I mentioned earlier, that is the genuineness of the text of the first epistle of John, chapter 5, verse 7 by David Martin, printed in 1722, and the defense of the authority of 1 John 5, 7 by C.H. Pappas. And I said, and as I said earlier, this is what's called the comma. And I'll read some of the statements. We'll say, the, be referring to the comma. You'll know that it's talking about the text that the devil has been trying to take out of the Scriptures. Now, the, let me say this. The authenticity of 1 John 5, 7 was never an issue in the history of Christianity until 1518 when it was raised by Erasmus. So for 1500 years, it was never questioned. And until that is in the Greek text. And until 1881, it was never left out of any translation. So I want you to keep that in mind. In one part, we're talking about the Greek text. In other parts, we're talking about modern translations. It was never left out of any of the translations until 1881 when they came out with the revised version. You say, well, why do you make such a big deal about this? 
If one part of the Scriptures can be questioned, other things can too. And as far as I know, all of the modern translations except for the New King James translation are what's called dynamic equivalent translations. In other words, it's not a word-for-word translation. It's a thought-for-thought. In other words, the man that read it said, well, I think it means this. I think it means that. Now, that's an oversimplification. But even in the New King James Version, uh, there are some words or phrases that are either left out or there's a footnote that questions it. So all of your modern translations, English translations we're talking about, throws some discrepancies on the Word of God. And so if you have a congregation that some people in it are using the Revised Version, others are using the New English Version, Others may be using, God forbid, the Living Bible. Others may be using the New American Standard. And so you have people in the congregation with different versions that are saying different things about some verses. And when you have different ideas and different opinions being said about different verses, how can you come up with a standard authority? In other words, it's a way of causing question to the Word of God. So, It was never questioned for 1,500 years. And David Martin said, For 1,500 years a forced silence has been kept as to this matter. But the farther ages have been advanced, and the more remote they are grown from these times, when the churches had that Scripture in the Holy Apostles' own handwriting, the anti-Trinitarian heresy has become proportionately bold to deny that this sacred text was really John's. This happened not after the year 1518 or 20, as I have observed in another book. And like I said, it was never left out of any translation until 1881. Pappas said, the Trinitarian passage 
without reserve, excuse me, the Trinity, no, the saints in every century, regardless if they were African, Asian, or even European, embraced the Trinitarian passage without reservation. It was part of their creeds and confessions. It was quoted by the Antinicene fathers as well as the post-Nicene fathers. That's just a group of people uh, in the early days of Christianity. It was found in their various translations of the Scriptures. All of this indicates from the earliest dating until 1881 that the Trinitarian passage was never brought into question, that is, with the translations. David Martin, in his preface to his book printed in 1722, wrote this. He's talking about that he had written before. He has other books on this, by the way. I had proved the genuineness of it by the most solid arguments that can be urged for the fact of this nature that these proofs are so numerous and of so many different kinds that it is impossible not to be convinced by them unless an obstinate resolution formed of set purpose against the sacred text shuts men's eyes to reason itself. David Martin said in his book that he's already given enough proof that anybody... Uh, they just have to be prejudiced against it. I have produced the testimony of the Latin church, that's the Roman Catholics, from the second age up to the last. The testimony of the Greek church, that's the Greek Orthodox, that would also include the Russian Orthodox, because they were a branch off of the Greek and lastly, the Greek manuscripts of John's epistles. In the first of all the editions which were made of the New Testament in Greek, in which Cardinal Ximenes, that was a Roman cardinal that lived from 1436 to 1517, employed several learned men which, has printed, which was printed at Complutum, and Complutum was an ancient Roman city in Spain. And there was a Complutium translation uh, edition that's spoken about. From excellent manuscripts in 1513. He's saying that it was in all of those. After his famous edition comes that of Erasmus in 1522, in which this learned critic and divine inserted his passage of John in the manner as it lay found in the manuscript in England. These two ancient editions were followed by those of Robert Stevens, who in the year 1546 and 1549 published the Greek New Testament with this text. 
which is where our Textus Receptus comes, agreeably with several manuscripts which he had from the library of King Francis I and some other libraries of the time. Now listen to this. Authorities within the Latin or Western Catholics affirm 1 John 5-7 as being genuine. Such men as Tertullian, who lived from 155 A.D. to 220, around 220. Cyprian, who lived from 210, around 210 to 258. Jerome, who lived from 342 to 347. Eucharistus of Lyons, who lived from around 380 to around 449. Paulinus, who lived from around 354 to 431. Augustine, or Augustine as some like to call him, lived from 354 to 430. And many other men that lived that far back all testified of the genuineness of 1 John 5, 7. Or the comma, as it's called. It's also to be noted that the Greek Catholics or Orthodox testified of the authenticity of, the, of this text. <clears throat> and then Pappas wrote, Then there are the Slavic Bibles. These too have the comma in their translation of the Scriptures. This is not to mention the Russian Bibles, which also has the comma. How did the comma enter into these translations if it were not in the Greek Bible? After all, these translations were translated from the Greek manuscripts. Another witness summoned on behalf of the comma is the Celtic Bible. And he further said that the Celtic translation is a very strong witness dating back to the time of the Apostle Paul. Then there's the French or the Gaelic Bible printed in Lyons, the German Bible prior to Luther, the Telp Bible, Telp is spelled T-E-L-P, of the 4th century in Bohemia, and the Swiss Bible. As for the English translations, we have the Wycliffe Bible in 1380, the Tyndall Bible in 1525, the Miles Cloverdale Bible in 1535, the Matthews Bible in 1537, the Tan uh, Tavern Taverner's Bible in 1539, the Great Bible in 1539, the Geneva Bible in 1557, the Bishop's Bible in 1568, and then the Authorized or the King James in 1611. It was the Waldensian Bible that Helviticus, the Waldensian scholar, charged Jerome with corrupting the Scriptures. And as for, and as for the Waldensians, they, they date back to 120 A.D. Pappas also wrote that Benjamin Warfield mentioned the translators of the authorized version, that's the King James translators, that they consulted with the Waldensians. 
It is well known that the editors of the authorized version consulted with Geneva while laboring on the translation of the authorized version. But many are not aware that they consulted with the three Waldensian scholars. With the death of Calvin and Beza, their successors were Leger, Daunati of Italy, and Olivetan of France. All three of these men were Waldensians, with whom they, uh, with whom uh, they conferred. As for Daunati, he gave the Italians their Bible. As for uh, Olivetan, he gave the French their Bible. None of these men questioned the comma. As stated earlier, the comma was in the Waldensian Bible. The Waldensian in coming to Geneva made Geneva a light bearer for over 100 years. As for Calvin, he was no doubt related to Leger, as both of their families were from the valley of St. Martin, a Waldensian community. All of those Bibles for hundreds of years and all of those men did not question the validity of First John 5, 7. Now I've already read John Gill and uh, Robert Trail. John Calvin said of this, of the whole of this verse has been omitted by some. Jerome thinks that this has happened through design rather than through mistake. Remember, Jerome translated it into the Greek into Latin. And that indeed only on the part of the Latins. But as even the Greek copies do not agree, I dare not assert anything on the subject. Since, however, the passage flows better when this clause is added, and as I see that it is found in the best... Notice, Calvin said... The text is found in the best and most approved copies. I am inclined to receive it as the true reading. Matthew Henry has a lengthy quote about it, but he said, First uh, John 5, 7, most oppositely occurs. That means it was appropriate, highly pertinent. I could read a lengthy quote from uh, Samuel Pierce, but uh, he just said these words have been and still are controverted and called in question as not well authenticated by all sorts of anti-Trinitarians, Arians, and Socinians. But he goes on to show, show how that it is uh, to be that it is true and he quotes a lot of the authorities that were also quoted in some of the others. Matthew Poole, a famous commentator, commentary, said, And these three are one, namely not only agreeing in their testimony, as 1 John 5, 8, but in unity of nature and express testimony of true deity by whatever carelessness or ill design left out of some copies, but sufficiently demonstrated by many most ancient ones to be to belong to the sacred text of which L. Berg uh, 
with other critics and at large Dr. Hammond. Robert Hawker said, We have here a most blessed scripture and which from its vast importance merits our closest attention and as there have been enemies to our holy faith among Christ's despisers who would wish, who would wish to wrest it from us, we have the more reason to prize it highly, to bless God for it, and to beg of Him to write it on the living tables of our heart. Even John Wesley said, What Bengalus has advanced both concerning the transportation, transposition of these two verses and the authority of the controverted verse, partly in his uh, work called Nomon and partly in his apparatus critis will abundantly satisfy any impartial person. In other words, even John Wesley said it should be there. And John Cotton in his comments uh, uh, takes it as part of the text. John Cotton, by the way, lived 1585 to 1658. And then... I have a, a couple of quotes by John Owen. One from his volume 2, page 10 of Communion with God. He said to 1 John 5, 7, There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. In heaven they are and bear witness to us. And what is it that they bear witness unto? Unto the, the sonship of Christ and the salvation of believer in His blood. Now this is done distinctly. The Father beareth witness, the Son beareth witness, the Holy Spirit beareth witness, for they are three distinct witnesses. And then he test, writes in his uh, Sermon on the Evidences of the Faith of God's Elect, Volume 5, pages 406 to 407. Uh, well, he just testifies to the truth of 1 John 5, 7. And I could give many, many more. But I give all of this to let you know that you're not an ignorant hayseed if you believe 1 John 5, 7 is part of the New Testament. In the Greek and in the English. Then there are other books by Edward F. Hill on the King James Version defended, D.A. Waite in his book Defending the King James Bible, David Olis Fuller several years ago put out books called Which Bible, False and True, and uh, Counterfeit or Genuine. And uh, and so, but like I say, I could, I could give you a list of many resources could quote you from many, many scholars, but the modern so-called preachers and translations would have you to think that it shouldn't even be in the Bible. The devil's been busy. Well, let's pray. My Father, 
I recognize the likelihood of the difficulty of some being able to follow a lot of the things that were presented here today. But if nothing else was accomplished, I pray that enough was presented to show that it's not just some ignorance or that how modern so-called scholarship or textual critics have some inner light that is superior to the common saint. But there are many scholars in hundreds of years that testify the truth of the text that these modern enemies of your word would hide from the saints. Thankfully, the word of the Lord endures forever. And we thank you that every word is true. Even as Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in writing to the Galatians, pointed out the distinction between singular and plural, that the seed promised to Abraham was seed singular and not seeds plural or many. Thank you that you've given us a standard and thank you that it continues to stand the test of time though there are multitudes that deny it and try to destroy it. May we ever contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. In Jesus' name, Amen.